John chapter 12. I want to read uh, our passage. Uh, we'll be in John chapter 12 for a number of weeks. Um, like I said, we'll do, I'll be preaching this week, obviously. Pastor Tom is preaching next week. Then I'll pick up John 12 again. Um, it is a large chapter and a lot's going on. But a lot of um, theologians will break John into two parts. They'll say, really, John chapter 1 through 11 is part 1. And then really John chapter 13 through 21 is part 2. And then chapter 12 is often talked like the bridge chapter. Because it's connected to part 1 and connected to part 2. And so it really is an important transition point. And just to give a snapshot, John chapter 1 um, through chapter 11 is all the way from in the beginning was the word. It's starting with Jesus from all eternity and past. And his ministry, all of his earthly ministry, up until the last week. And we start John chapter 12, verse 1. I'm not going to read all of it yet, but just these first few words. Six days before the Passover. So this is six days before his crucifixion. This is the week of his Passover, the week of his crucifixion. And so the second half, chapter 12 through 21, is the last week of Jesus' ministry his death, burial, resurrection, and then a few conversations we have before we see his ascension. So you really have all of Jesus' ministry in the first 11 chapters and then the last week. And so we see a lot of discord, uh, discourse um, between Jesus and his disciples. We're a lot, we have a lot of stories in the first 11 chapters. After chapter 12, we get a lot of conversations and so we see a transition in the book that happens, and we see that transition largely happen right here in chapter 12. So let's read the verse, first eight verses together, John chapter 12. If you're with me in verse 1, just simply say amen. amen. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, when Jesus has where, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from a pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have have me. If you're filling in the blank, the target statement for today's sermon is simply this. Jesus is worth your full devotion. Jesus is worth your full devotion, or Jesus is worthy of your full devotion, however you want to, to phrase that sentence. But Jesus is worth your full devotion. In this series, my desire has been, as we look through the Gospel of John, my number one goal has not been, let's teach every truth in the Gospel of John. If that was the case, we'd still be in chapter 3 probably at this point, because there's so much in here. But it has been to focus on, as the title of the series is, 
encounters with Jesus. Where do we see people encountering Jesus? What does Jesus do? And then what is their experience based on that encounter? And then how can we learn from that? So my desire today is, even as I teach this text, is not to deal with every question that may come from the text, because it's quite an interesting uh, story. We're not going to talk about how there have been thieves within the treasury of the church, even from the beginning of time. We know that is a genuine concern in churches today. But we see that we're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking those things. We're not even going to spend a lot of time focusing on what Jesus said. We're instead going to focus a lot from the perspective of Mary herself. Because she here in this act of obedience, in this act of worship, states with her actions, Jesus, you are worthy of my full devotion. And one other thing I want to say is before we really dive into this, is one of the things I've been convicted about this week as I've been preparing this message is it, it, it's easy to say, Jesus, you're worthy of my full devotion. And it's easy for us even as Christians to have good theology to say that with our minds. But here's a woman who didn't just say, Jesus, you're worthy with, for my full devotion with her songs and a song that she sung to him, but she, but she showed it in a very specific ways that we're going to unpack. And we see her state the statement, Jesus, you're worthy of my full devotion. And she states it not with her mind, but with her heart. She states it with her life. She states it in her actions. And so for us, the statement to, for us to be able to say with our lives, Jesus, you are worthy of my full devotion. I pray would not just be a statement that is theologically true that we say, but it'd be a statement that our entire life is molded around because we actually believe it's true and our actions reveal that it is so. Point number one as a defense kind of to this target statement is this. Um, He is worth the reputational humiliation. He is worth the reputational humiliation. Let's pick it back up in verse one. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Wonderful, kind of thrown in there, helpful, because what just happened? We just got done reading in chapter 11 where Lazarus was raised from the dead. So imagine, you know, like this is like, this is a big moment that took place in chapter 11. Clearly something, there's a period of time we don't really know. Period of time takes place. But six days before the Passover, they're having this reunion. They're having this get-together. You know, I can imagine, you know, it may be one of the first times Jesus is back in town, and Jesus is coming back in town, and obviously Jesus is close to them. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He's close to Mary and Martha, and they just have this this get-together, this hangout at the house. But it says, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. There's also reason to believe, because of verses 9 and following, which we're not getting into, that there's a large crowd that's seeing what's happening, that's watching what's happening throughout this story, and they decide they're going to try to kill Lazarus too. Now, we understand already that the Jews have been plotting to kill Jesus because Jesus is causing this uproar, and now they're at the point where we're going, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to kill Lazarus also. Like, because this was this great miracle that took place, and all the time while Lazarus is walking around, like, this ain't helping our cause. So we're going to kill him also. So clearly there's a commotion. People are seeing what's happening. So this isn't just four people around a dinner table. 
There's a crowd that is around. This is very common to have public dinners. We see this because oftentimes Jesus is having dinners and there's a lot of teaching and questioning that happens at these dinners and other stories in the Gospels. So it's very likely that there was a number, a few dozen people at least, if not even more than that, here at this dinner. And this is, there's this moment, this is the setting where Mary does this, verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Let's talk quickly about just what is this. This is a very nice and potentially, obviously, clearly an expensive perfume. And most scholars and theologians would say that based off the price that is shown and given, it would have been about an average person's annual salary. So think about that, an average person's annual salary worth of expensive perfume, right? So she takes this, we'll we'll come back to that, but what does she do with it? She pours it on Jesus to anoint him. There's a good chance she poured it all over him. Matthew and Mark talk about pouring on the head in this moment. Here it talks about the feet, so it's a good chance. Like she's like poured it on him. But specifically the focus of this text says that she then goes with her hair, and she goes and she wipes his feet. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, one of the things when I moved to New York, uh, there was a new custom that was never been a part of before, for good reason, was that we take shoes off when we go into people's houses. People don't do that in the South. They don't do that much in the South. But also in the South, uh, we don't get a lot of snow, and there's not a lot of salt on the streets, and we drive everywhere, so we hardly ever walk out on the streets, and so our feet tend to be a lot cleaner for that reason. But nonetheless, when we come here, I recognize, like, especially in winter, you got salt over your boots, you got mud, you got different things, you got just city, city stuff, you know, <laughs> we don't know what it is sometimes, all of our shoes, and so rightfully so, like, we take our shoes off because that is representative of some of the dirtiest parts about us as we walk around. But imagine that is still true in all cultures and time to some degree. And so imagine you've got sandals, you've got dirt roads, your feet are not clean. Our kids, they prefer to wear flip-flops outside. And they need to shower largely because they just need to wash their feet most of the times. But you've got a culture that's exactly the case. So what would happen would be customary as a way of honor. You come into a home, we take our shoes off, which presents clean feet to the house. But if you're in sandals and dust, it's very customary that you would come into a home and your feet would get washed. A servant would wash your feet or something so that then you would come in with clean feet into the home. Makes sense. We understand that. We get that. Same reason why we take off shoes. And so... But the point is, is your feet are nasty, your feet are dirty, and it is not customary. We understand when we get to John chapter 13, when Jesus goes and washes his disciples' feet, it's a great act of service precisely because he's washing their feet. He's not just washing their hands in preparation for the food, but he's getting down and saying, I will serve you in some of the most humble and grossest ways as your leader and as your Messiah. So she doesn't take a rag to wash the gross parts of his body and his feet, but instead she takes her own hair. I want you to see the humiliation of this act. 
I want you to see, like, if we're watching this and we're very tight in on culture, especially a culture of cleanliness and some of these ideas that have religious laws around cleanliness, which the Jewish people very much did. Jesus is charged and his disciples are challenged by the Pharisees at times for breaking some of those cleanliness laws and not washing their hands always before eating and things like that. You got a high standard, and here you are, you have a woman who is down at his feet and is using her hair to clean his feet. The humiliation of that moment. That she will always be, in a sense, made fun of within culture. Her reputation will take, is and has forever taken a hit from this, which is why this is one of the only stories besides the feeding of the 5,000 and the crucifixion that is in all four Gospels. Because in the other Gospels, Jesus said that wherever the Gospel is preached, this story of great honor will be told. Because in the moment, it was seen as an act of humiliation by the people, but Jesus understood that this took a place of humility to, to worship Jesus in this way. She was saying, I am unworthy to be any to be in your presence. Remember, she, Jesus had just raised her brother from the dead. So there is this genuine gratitude and all. But remember, we ended, what was the uh, takeaway statement from last week was believe and see the glory of God. Jesus challenged Mary and Martha, believe in me and you will see the glory of God. Meaning you'll see me for who I really am. And we immediately come into chapter 12 and we see Mary reacting to seeing Jesus for who he really is. Seeing that, not only is he capable of raising the dead, but he's capable because he is God in person. And there's this sense of humility that comes upon her to where she says, I don't care what the dozens of people around me are going to say or think about what I'm about to do with my hair in this act of humiliation. I don't care about the reputation. I don't care what other people think. But Jesus is so worthy, and I am not that I want to honor him in this way. And she lays her reputation on line, and she lays out in an act of humiliation, and she honors Jesus. It's the reason why Jesus would say, as I've already said, that wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be told. Because it's such an act of great honor. When I say the statement, Jesus is worth your full devotion, and that he's worth our reputational humiliation, I want to ask the question, do you, is this true for you? Right, like, it's one thing, be like, all right, let's immediately apply. If Jesus was here, would I, could I feel that I would do a similar act of just humility before him? But it's really this question. Are you willing to allow humiliation and your reputation to be affected simply because you will claim to follow Jesus with your life? She said, I don't care what other people think. I want to honor Jesus because he's worth my devotion. And I want to honor him in a way that will honor him from the depths of my heart. I will take my hair. I will take the most prized possession that I own. And I will honor him with it. And I don't care what other people have to say because I, it is about my worship of Jesus. Because what, who he is and my devotion to him is more important than what other people think about me. And so my question is, is are we willing to live in such a way in a culture that is quite hostile to Christianity, 
looks at Christians as quite ignorant and dumb a lot of times. Y'all still believe these crazy things. Y'all still believe that God exists. Y'all still believe that he was actually died and then raised to life. Like, come on, you don't, that's, that's all like old myth stuff. You still believe that, right? Yes, we all are just weird. But, we're, but we actually still believe it. And claiming Christ will affect how people treat you and think about you. And it will affect relationships at work. And it might affect jobs. And I've had a number of conversations because of how people just faithfully stood with integrity, have lost jobs. Because as accountants, they weren't willing to do certain things that their bosses were asking them to do to deal with the books because they wanted to deal with integrity because of their faith. And in that process, lost their jobs. Are we willing to face the reputational humiliation to simply say, Jesus is worth it in my life? Now, let's be clear about something. There is a difference between honoring Jesus and worshiping him and recognizing that Jesus says in Matthew that all will be persecuted who worship me. There's a difference between being persecuted for faithful honor and worship of Jesus, and there's another reason for being persecuted because you're just really mean about it. Let's, Let's draw a line here. Because there are a lot of Christians online who say something really mean and then go, people are coming back at me and I'm just being persecuted for the whole Christ. No, you're being persecuted because you're mean. Like you're being mean. And so I want to be clear about something. That doesn't mean that we're, because we're Christians and we're going, I'm willing to be humiliated for Christ and I'm willing to honor him and I'm willing to recognize that my reputation will be affected by this. So I'm just going to get out there and I'm going to go to my coworker and I'm going to say, turn or burn. And if you don't, and you say something weird, I'm just being persecuted, that's probably not the most faithful way to show the love of Jesus to them. So let's be careful here. Like, don't, don't, don't carry a badge of honor because you're being persecuted because you're just not being nice. Don't, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is in a great humility moment and just in faithfulness, you go, Jesus, you're worth being faithful to you, you're worth honoring you, you're worth my integrity, you're worth the words I speak, you're worth my actions, you're worth all of it. And if people make fun of me because of it, so be it because you're worth it. That's what we're talking about. That Jesus is worth your full devotion. He's worth you making decisions to honor him that your culture will make fun of simply because of your faithfulness towards him. The question is, is he worth that to you? Is he worth your reputation? Is he worth uh, maybe some of the persecution that will come your way? And what Mary would say to you is, yes, he is. And I pray that as we, once again, as I gave a challenge at the beginning, we're not just saying it with our minds. We're saying, I'm trying to cry this out with my heart, that Jesus, you're worth it. So first, he's worth the reputational humiliation. Second, he's worth the financial sacrifice. How's Jesus worth your full devotion? Reputational humiliation and financial sacrifice. Look at verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this uh, ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used, to help him, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone. We'll come back to that. So let's pause there. Is worth the financial sacrifice. Now, this is, I want to be careful because it's, it's sometimes, anytime we talk about money in the church, because of, I mean, let's read it. Judas was stealing money. 
one of the 12 disciples was stealing from Jesus, right? Which means even there and in the last 2,000 years, there's a history of a financial abuse within the church. So anytime a pastor or I talk about money, I just want to be careful because I know there that some of us come from hurt experiences with finances. Let's just be, let me be careful. And so in this moment, when we talk about financial sacrifice, that is not to say that you're the rich young ruler and you have to give everything in order to be a Christian. You don't have to give up everything. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is she took, she wanted to honor Jesus in a way that she took, chances are, good bet would be, this was the most prized possession she had. And if not, it was at least the most prized possession that fit what her goal was, was to anoint Jesus for his death and burial. Like she was actually doing something that was very theologically significant, preparing him for burial, understanding his mission and understanding what was happening. There was an anointing taking place. So the anointing has to be done with oil. And so there's probably at least a very special oil to her. And for her, she said, I, like Judas, or unlike Judas, I can use this for some other purpose. She said, I don't care what other purposes I could use it for. I want to lavish and show that Jesus is worth even the sacrifice that will come financially in this act. And so what she does is she takes this very expensive perfume, and it says it gives us a price, and it's where we're able to guesstimate. There's about an annual salary for most people at the time, an annual salary of perfume. I mean, we walk down the mall, and they spray you with stuff, and, you know, it'd be like $50. I'd be like, no, my deodorant works fine, thanks, and I keep going. But an annual salary? It's a lot of money. But for her, that wasn't on her mind. What was on her mind was I want to lavish out in great sacrifice to say, Jesus, you're more worth it than this thing that of great financial reward to me. You're worth it. You're worth the financial sacrifice in this moment. She makes a great financial sacrifice. You know, there's a lot of speculation about, okay, not only was the cost of this, but you've got an annual salary type item here. You probably don't have a lot of those. And there's a good chance, based off custom, that this was a family dowry, meaning that this was likely when engagements happen, that there are great gifts that are given across familial lines in order to kind of come to that agreement, to come to that betrothal, legal binding agreement. And there's oftentimes uh, perfume was a dowry. It was one of the gifts given to the family of great wealth in order to pass on to the next person. Meaning this was probably an item that had been given to her that she'd been hanging on to to potentially give to her husband one day. It was possibly an item that she was hanging on to to where if there was ever a proposal, she had something to offer the family in return as a way of showing great respect and honor to her future husband. And she said, you know what? I'm not saving it for that. That's not to speak of any type of marriage relationship between Jesus and Mary here in this moment. That's not the point. The point is, though, is that what was saved for potentially the most prized person in her life and of great financial reward, she chose to pour it out on the feet of Jesus. She chose not to preserve that valuable thing for someone else, 
But she says, I have God in person with me right in front of me. I've seen his glory, and all I can think to do is worship him in such a way that I don't care about my reputation, and I don't care about my worldly possessions. I just want to lay them at his feet in a great honor towards him. And so she does. She takes this great item that was not only of financial significance, but also of family and culture significance, potentially as it relates to marriage, and she poured it out on his feet and then wiped it up with her hair. And it says the aroma filled the entire house. When we begin to think about Jesus is worth your full devotion, that includes our finances. Now, I want to be careful here because the point of the sermon is not financial. This isn't the focus of the text. And it's not the focus of the sermon, but it is to say, Hey, are we willing to make reputational sacrifices? Okay, are we willing to make financial sacrifices? Are we willing to make time sacrifices? We could fill in the blank. I'm only covering two of the items that are referenced in the text. But when we have a sermon with the main point, Jesus is worth your full devotion, I mean, if we study the Bible, we can fill that in with a, with a hundred things there. It doesn't matter what it is, but in this text, it is that we see this sacrifice well, how does this pertain to me? I, I got perfume at home, maybe, but I don't, I don't where's Jesus? Like, how do I pour this out? You know, like, uh, it may not exactly be the same, but it might mean that you make great sacrifices because you feel like God's calling you to do something. It may cause you to make, to take a job that has different pay than another job because you want to be faithful to him and you want to honor him. It may cause you to do different things with your finances because your finances don't drive your decision. Your faithfulness and adoration to Jesus drive your decisions, and then your finances follow. It's a matter of priority. It's a matter of saying, I'm not going to allow the cost of this perfume to dictate what I do with this perfume. I'm going to allow the person in front of me of who I worship to dictate what I do with this. See the difference? That's the challenge of the text. The challenge of the text is to say, is Jesus worth allowing everything else in your life to align behind him as number one in your life? That's what it means to say, Jesus is worth your full devotion. And she would say, yes, reputational humiliation, I don't care what other people think about me. I don't care about the financial sacrifice that is, that is happening. Real quick, before I move on from this point, I do want to say that when Jesus censures Judas, let's go ahead and read that in verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When Jesus censures Judas here for what he says, I don't, I don't at all believe Jesus was advocating that we neglect the poor. I think he was highlighting the importance of the rival of one of the most significant events in the history of the world, his death and uh, burial an eventual resurrection, and this moment of significance. And so it's an emphasis on him. In no way does his statement say we shouldn't care for the poor. We very much should care for the poor. But in this moment, and understanding the context, Jesus was saying, but her act of worship was showing great adoration for the moment at hand in God's redemption, the history where Jesus was about to go to the grave. And this was a moment of anointing for his death and burial, which is a beautiful significance of worship. So it's just a caveat. I want to make sure that Jesus here isn't saying you shouldn't care for the poor. He spends a lot of his ministry talking about how you should care for the poor. But that wasn't the point of this text. I want to close with this takeaway statement. And it's a question more than a statement. Would you be willing to lay your most prized possession and sacred reputation at the feet of Jesus in devotion to him? 
It's the question out of the text. Would you be willing, like Mary, to lay your most prized possession and sacred reputation at the feet of Jesus in devotion to him? Are you willing to be able to say, not with just your mind and not just with your mouth, but with your heart and your entire life aligning around this truth, Jesus is worth my full devotion. And I think from this story I've been challenged with is to say, yes, Jesus is absolutely worth it all. He's worth it. He's worth it. And there are a lot of decisions we make in our lives to honor Christ over maybe what we want at times. And I want to say he's worth it every single time. If you choose to stand with integrity in the workplace and to speak in a God-honoring way in such a way that may cause you to take a stance that could cause you to lose your job, Jesus is worth it. When you take a stance in your family, because we have some of you in here in our church that deciding to follow Jesus caused a great rift between you and your family. I'm so saddened by that, but it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. And I want us to see from Mary as she laid out in a great sacrifice and financial sacrifice and humiliation before others simply for the opportunity to worship Jesus. Might our lives be a representation of this act of devotion as well. Might every day of our lives be lived in such a way to go, God, I don't, I don't, I don't care about anything other than just worshiping and honoring you with my life. Now that causes us to align a lot of things behind it. We do care about other things. The point is we don't care about them preeminently above Jesus. But our worship of Jesus then aligns, aligns everything else in our lives. Let's pray together. Jesus, I, I just, this is one of those sermons where it's so easy to say with our minds, yeah, Jesus, he's king of kings, Lord of lords, he created everything, he died on the cross for us, all that sounds great and true, yeah, he's worth everything. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing for our lives, it's another thing to be like Mary and step out and pour the perfume on your feet and wipe it up with our hair and watch the money literally pour down your dirty feet. It's a whole nother thing to allow our lives to reflect that statement. And a lot of times, the response from the culture is persecution. They make fun of us, but we just simply say, God, we just want to honor and worship you with our lives because you're worth it. You're worth our full devotion. And so, Father, I pray that you help each person in here from their hearts be able to really say, myself included, Jesus, you're worth the full devotion of my life. You're worth it. I would like to be able to honestly say I'm willing to sacrifice my greatest prized possession. I'm willing to sacrifice my reputation and standing within this culture, whatever it is, just to be able to display my honor of you. I'm willing to do it. And I pray that you give me the courage to do it. I pray that you give us the courage to do it. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, 
we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Goffles Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.